Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Smiling faces, you all are the bright ones to get here early when it's not a thousand degrees in here. It's good to, good to have you all this morning. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm the teaching pastor. If we haven't yet met, I would love to meet you. I see some faces that I don't know, so I, I would love to meet you at some point. Uh, grab a Bible if you have one near you. Turn to Psalm 36. We are um, this summer working through uh, some psalms. We just finished a longer series in our doctrine. We're now look, taking some weeks just to, uh, to go one psalm at a time through the, the book of Psalms. So if you don't know where the book of Psalms is, that's fine. It's in the middle of your Bibles. God, in his good goodness, his kindness, has given us 150 of these right in the middle of, of his word. And so um, for the past several years, we've just taken some of these uh, throughout the summer and gone through them. Once you find it, Psalm 36, once you find it, um, we are going to read through the entire Psalm. I'll read it aloud. I'll have you follow along. Um, but I would invite you, if you're able this morning, to join in standing as we read from God's word. Psalm 36, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Here's what it says. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. Our hearts and our minds are, are in constant moving from one emotion to the next. Are they? they're, they're in constant um, flux, moving from one thing to the next. You ever get that? Where it just seems scattered altogether, where, where one moment you're here and the next moment you're here and you're just on this roller coaster of, of emotions, where you're frustrated one minute and, and that can so quickly turn into to the next moment where you're just sad. 
And from that, you can go to the next place where you're excited. And from there, you go to a place where you're anxious and, and really having some significant doubts. And then from that place, you, you go from having significant doubts to, to being in a place of just being complacent altogether. We're just not thinking about much at all. And then from there, um, by, by the grace of God, you're in a place where you're, you just have joy. And then from joy, you go back to sadness and, and, and all over the place. We're just in this constant state of bouncing from one emotion to the next, one, one feeling to the next. And we, and we feel those things deeply. We, we feel them deeply. In fact, I was thinking about this over the, even over the last seven days, right? Since we gathered in here seven days ago, we, we feel these things deeply. And so I began thinking about my, my own week. Last Sunday was... Um, it was good to be together with you all. It was good to be here. I went home Sunday afternoon. I rested a little bit, um, which I desperately needed. And then that evening, Kirsten and I rode our bikes uh, with a couple friends to Old Town for a double date. It was a beautiful evening. And we had a great time together. It was much needed after what was kind of a rocky weekend for us. And so we went from that to Monday morning. Um, and Solomon, our son, um, gets his stitches taken out of his toe. I shared that last week. You can hear more about that some other time. But he gets his stitches out of his toe. We're ex- extremely excited about that for him. But in the same moment, the doctor said, hey, but you're going to need to wear this boot for another, what, three to four weeks. Um, don't tell him that. We haven't told him that yet. So um, for some time, you're going to have to wear this thing, which was discouraging. So we go from one thing to the other, right? We go from like Sunday night high, it was a good evening, to, to Monday morning where stitches are out and then into some discouraging news about what the long-term prognosis of that. And then Monday evening, our, our younger boys went to bed and I went for uh, an evening run. I had Kirsten drive me out um, several miles and I ran home that evening. Um, the sun was setting over the mountains. It was just a beautiful evening, but about halfway through that run, my hamstring locked up and it was just sort of a discouraging run back, right? So we just go back and forth. These are just simple um, things about daily life where we've just bounced back and forth between uh, things that are good, things that are bad, and, and all over the place, where we, we just have that roller coaster. And, and you've experienced this for sure. Kirsten and I have been talking recently about a, a renewed desire that we have to be interacting with our neighbors and, and having some time to get to know them, to love them well. And so Tuesday night, there's just a, a few days later, Tuesday night, um, I was able to meet a new family in our cul-de-sac and have some time with them. They had just moved into to Colorado from California. And so we sat on in our cul-de-sac as the kids played and we got to share some, uh, you know, just, hey, here's Fort Collins. This is what it's like. Here's some things that you can do. Here's some great places to go camping. And they're like, camping, what's that? We're from LA. We don't know what that is, right? So we just had some time to share and it, it went from that to um, things of faith. And we had some really good conversations about what do you believe and where does that go? And it was, it was really a good time. I went in that evening just thinking, that's an answer to prayer. God did that, right? I was encouraged. Wednesday morning, animal control pulls up in front of our house and knocks on our door. Yeah, that's how it goes, right? So um, um, that one of our unidentified neighbors has complained that we have chickens. I guess that's a thing you complain about. So they complained about our chickens. And so my mind is now going from, hey, I had great time last night with neighbors. Now we have these who knows what neighbors are complaining about our chickens. And there's some disappointment there that we don't know our neighbors in the ways that we would like to know them and have conversations with them. And so it's just back and forth. Does it make sense? We're just back and forth with just the small things in life that go up and down from, from good and bad and, and all over the place. And we could go on and on with the week, how it's gone back and forth. And I'm sure you could 
go through some of those same things as well. That this happened was great. And then this happened and it was discouraging. It's just kind of all over. Have you ever thought about this question? Why is that the case? Why is that? Why is it that we are in constant flux between joy and sadness and good and bad and all of those things? At one moment you can be on a high and the next moment you can, that, that, that can be quickly chased away with some devastating or frustrating or depressing event that happens and then back toward the other way. Why is that? Well, I think there's an explanation. And it's this. That we experience life right now in light of two certain realities. Let me just share what those are. We live in the reality of a world affected by, distorted by, changed by sin and its effects and its consequences. We live in a world, in a reality where that, that's just, that's true. We live there. And, and at times we also participate in that reality. We're, we're involved in, in it. Individually we're affected by sin. And, and, and even though many of us have been changed by Jesus, praise God, we, we've been changed in, in a lot of ways. We, we've not yet been made perfect. And nothing around us has either. And so we live in that reality and we experience the consequences and we're affected by sin and we just live there. Not only do we individually, personally live in that and we're affected by it, but we we also see it around us. We can't escape that. In fact, this last week was, was we were just bombarded with tragedy, weren't we? we started last weekend with a, a, a shooting in California and then recently in these days, in these last couple days, where there are more shootings. We're, we're just like, what, what is going on? We're just bombarded with those tragedies. People make wicked choices, and we feel that. We experience that. We, we, we live in that. That, that, that hits us. It, it, it angers us. It frustrates us. It, 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 it grieves us, doesn't it? it? It grieves us. You ever feel the weight uh, of life Maybe, maybe this morning you're like, well, I didn't until now. Now I do, right? You ever feel the weight of life, life affected by sin? It hits us. And, and, and you hear the news of, of all of these things. Maybe for you it's um, some other tragedy. It wasn't some world event, but it was, it was something personal. Something that hit you. Or uh, Some friends of ours have, have experienced... Um, an undiagnosed, undetected um, illness that just hit rapidly. And now trying to figure out, well, where, where do we, what do we do with that? How does that hit us? The pressing reality of life in a broken world just crowds around us. That's a, that's a certain reality that we live in. So that's one. And at the same time, there's another reality. God is a loving Father, right? We have a loving Father. He's a faithful and righteous God over all things. He gives life. He sustains life. God is a refuge to us for us to run to. Psalm 46.1, just a few psalms later than, than this one, the psalmist tells us that God is a very present help. 
in trouble. That's our God. He's loving. He's faithful. He's righteous. He, he, he gives and, and, and sustains. God in His sovereignty and in His power and His plan and His kindness and His love is our reason for hope. That also, friends, is a certain reality for those who know Him. Does that make sense? So we've got these two realities that we live in a broken world and also God is a loving Father. Both of those are realities. So back and forth we go with the way that we feel and experience how life hits us. God still exists as a loving Father in the midst of the brokenness that we face. And as we look to the Psalms, different categories of psalms arise. And we think, well, what kind of psalm is this? What kind of psalm is this? And those different kinds of psalms help us see the realities that we face. There are psalms of lament. There are psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of praise, psalms of petition, or prayers to God for help, psalms that are are hymns proclaiming truths about who God is, and and on and on. We see these different ways of, of experiencing what we're facing currently. And we get to Psalm 36, the psalm that we just read. Confusion sort of sets in about what kind of psalm is this? And so so many have said this psalm is a combination of many different types of psalms, which isn't usual, but but it is. And that's extremely helpful helpful for us even today because in this, this psalm, we see the flow of life. We see the different patterns of life. We feel the lament because of sin. And also, we, we see reason to proclaim the truths about who God is, about the, 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 the fact that He is a loving Father. And so then we respond in prayer, asking God for help. That, that's the flow of the psalm. That's the flow of life. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through the psalm quickly and see, see life, really. That, that's what we want to see, life. And, and your, your life and mine bringing together both of these things that we live in a fallen world that's broken and busted up by, by sin, our sin and the sin of others, and then hopefulness because God is God. That God is a loving Father. All right, so, so what do we see first? We see this. We see a lament over sin. We see this in the first uh, four verses. We don't know the situation of the psalm. We don't know what David has gone through. We don't, we don't know what is happening. There's not any, any historical information about what David was facing. We know some things about David, and so we can kind of place it, but, but we don't know what David is facing when he writes this. It, it may be about a special event, a specific event. It, it may be uh, about uh, something that, that we don't have any clue about altogether. It may be the words of David in a time of life where he was feeling the weight of both the existence of sin and the love of God. We, we don't know what David was experiencing, but whatever he was experiencing, he was compelled at first to write a, a lament about the sin and the sinfulness of this world. And so he begins, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Sin seeps into all the crevices of life, deep into the heart of the wicked person, of the evil person, causing men and women to not fear, causing men and women to not honor, causing men and women to not respect and revere God. In fact, David says there is no fear of God in the heart of the wicked. Those things go hand in hand, don't they? 
Right? Wickedness and no fear of God go hand in hand. Oh, I'll do whatever I want. Those things go hand in hand. And, and David continues this lament. He says, the wicked, the sinful man or the sinful woman flatters himself or herself. He, he builds himself up in his own eyes. He, he puffs himself up. He, he puts himself out there as a model. He hides the fact that his heart is evil and wicked. So he says, yeah, yeah, this is who I am puffing himself up so that he can hide where his heart is. Verse 2 tells us so that sin cannot be found out. That This person does the opposite of what a man or a woman of God would do, pushing uh, uh, that aside. God knows our hearts, though, doesn't he? And we're commanded to confess our sins to God and to others. And so to hide these things would be to push against what God has commanded us to do. That God knows our hearts and other people at times know our hearts. And so a move toward reconciliation and restoration and health in relationship is the, the act of confessing sin to one another, to the God who hears us and certainly knows us. Listen to this. God certainly knows the things that we're wrestling with doesn't he? He certainly knows those things. And also hear this. He's a safe person to run to, right? And and together, our hope is that we would become that as well. Those who love us can also be a safe environment to, to confess sin, knowing that we're all, all of us, in need of grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. But the wicked man, David says, the wicked woman, David says, positions himself or herself so that sin cannot be found out. I'm going to position myself so that none of that can be found out. Now, so can we just pause for just a second and say a couple things here? That, that uh, just, just a brief word about the culture of the town church. So if you've been with us for a while, maybe you've picked up on this. If you're new with us, let me um, air our dirty laundry. It's an area, I think, of challenge for us. It's been said of us that we are a put-together group of people, right? And I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I don't know that it's um, said with, uh, with a positive light, that we're a pretty well-to-do group of, of people without a lot of problems. That's the sort of air we have often given, right? That we're just a put-together people without a lot of problems. And on the one hand, if that is actually true, I think we turn to God in praise, Right? That, that comes from God. That's a good gift from God. And we say, well, God has helped us in this and that's where we are. But I don't think it's entirely true. I, I think often we're a group of people who have learned to not share our struggles, to be open about what we're facing, to, to not share openly the ways we're struggling with sin because we want to appear to be put together. Because we want to uh, appear to be put together without a lot of problems. And if we just stay in that, then what do we create? We create a group of people who don't have a lot of problems, but that's a a bunch of baloney, right? I I met with someone this past week who's looking for a church for he and his family. Um, They've been here a a handful of times. And and in that conversation, I said, hey, what are you looking for in a church? What is it that you're looking for? And we shared a bunch of things. He he talked a lot about that. But he said one of of the things they're looking for is is that, that he wants to be a part of a group of people where if and when he's having a rough day or a a rough week, experiencing doubts in life, doubts about who God is, if that's where he is in the moment that he's able to come into a group of people like this, confess those things and talk about those things and not feel the weight of others wondering, 
I wonder if he's even a Christian. And, and, and so when I heard that, I thought, man, that's what I want to be. I want to be the group of people who, who when someone walks in and says, this is what I'm struggling with. These are, these are some of the doubts I have. I just want to confess that. That, that we say, hey, well, I want to walk with you in that. I want to sit with you in that. I, I think this is an area we can grow as a church. Right, are we the kind of people who has confession as a normal rhythm of everyday life? Not just confession to God in a closet, but, but hey, this is where I am. This is what I'm struggling through, that we wrestle against sin and we battle with unbelief, and, and each of us does, and we, each of us knows that. Why would we hide that? Why would we posture and position ourselves to hide that other than to position ourselves in a way that, that shows that we're all put together? This is a piece of us that I want to be growing in a church. I want to be the kind of place where we understand our mess and understand our troubles and we understand that everyone else has them also. Right? And so I want to be in a place where where we're comfortable to say, here's where I am in life. Here's where I am right now in life. Would you pray for me and would you walk with me in this? Because one day I know I'm going to be walking with you. Would you do that with me? Right? This can't just be a few few of us. This can't be a couple of us who say, yeah, that, that's what we want to be. This has got to be us together being open. So David says in this psalm, the wicked, the one who doesn't fear God. I want you to hear this well. The one who doesn't fear God also believes he's doing okay. And if he's not doing okay, he's able to hide just enough to not be found out. Hear that. That's damning. Right? That's a mark of one who doesn't fear God. David continues with verse 3. The words coming out of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He lies. She lies. He or she has given up on those wise actions. He or she has given up, ceased to do good. Verse 4. Not only has this person ceased doing good and moved away from wisdom, but this person thinks about and is planning their their next move. And in some ways, they have to, right? Because when you've hidden your own mess long enough, you have to make up lies to keep that lie going, to keep that uh, up in front of others. When you've spoken lies and stopped pursuing good, the next move is planning for what's next strategically moving toward uh, the keeping of lies and, and that wickedness going on and on. When someone has no fear of God, they have become their own God and planning out how to rule and reign as their own God is the expected next step. It's got to be. It's intentional. And David says he sets himself up in a way that, that's not good. He or she doesn't reject the evil. There, there's, there's not a pushing away of evil in its actions. In fact... There's an acceptance of it. This is who I am. I'm just going to roll with it. It's a, it's a way of life. David is lamenting over sin. And again, we don't know the situation. We don't know what he's facing, but we feel the angst, don't we? In those four verses, we feel the weight of sin and its consequences. We feel that. And in fact, in, in some ways... It it hits close to home for each of us, doesn't it? As we read this, we're invited in. 
Because we don't know the situation. We don't know what he's going through. We can't say, well, I've never faced that. Well, no, he just leaves that open and he laments over, over sin. And so we're invited in that we feel that all around us and we see others acting out in that way. And I think when that happens, our temptation is just to leave it there. Yep, I see others doing this and I know others who, who live like this and I've, I've experienced the hurt that comes from living around those people. And, and sometimes I, I even cave to that. I think the temptation is to only see this in others and, and not know that... that in this situation, we're invited in to check our own hearts, to see that without the grace of God and the help of the Spirit, at times, this is also me. That This ought to grieve us. As we read these four verses, it ought to grieve us. It ought to be a lament for us as well, that sin and its consequences and its effects are all around us and it seeps deeply into our hearts, resulting in a lack of honor of God and a lack of awe of who God is and and then moves toward deceit and hatred and more evil and foolishness and intentional planning and, and more of the same as we accept, not reject, but accept sin as a way of life. How many of you this morning, wake up, how many of you this morning have just come to accept the sinful patterns you're in. Not reject. Just say, well, I don't know. That ought to grieve us. It ought to be our lament. And I think at times for us, it's, right, it, it, it's just right for us to, to simply express lament. Just to say, that, that's, that's grievous. It grieves me. It saddens me. It's right for us to not put a positive spin on things, right? Yeah, I know that's that, but where there's a will, there's a way, or whatever we would say, right? It's not, it's good for us to, to not put a positive spin on things, just sitting in that, thinking and believing that, that all is well, uh, it, it, at times, ought to be shoved aside. It's not, We live in a broken and busted up world, all of that affected by sin, and we feel that deeply, and to express it, to communicate it aloud, to write about it, brings it to light, brings it to a place of saying, yeah, that's a reality, that's a reality of life now, and and it doesn't seem to be getting better. Uh, Paul tells his young friend Timothy in, in a letter he wrote, maybe his last letter, 2 Timothy 3, that he says, keep pursuing godliness, Timothy. And then he says in, in later in verse 13, he says, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now listen, I, we're not, we're not going to end here. We're not going to close in prayer here. So just hang on for a second. There's good for us to sit in that, to lament over sin, to, to hear that and, and to, to see the brokenness and just let it be what it is. It's sinful, it's lamentable, and we grieve that. But there's hope, right? And we've got to come back to that. There's, there's absolutely hope, which is where David turns immediately following there's those first four verses. There's hope in that we know a loving God. There's this abrupt shift in, in the psalm from lament to what feels like a hymn to God. Right? Now, now what is a hymn? It's not, not the opposite of her. There's an in there. A hymn. Hymn. To, to God. What, what is that? It's a proclamation of praise. It's a, it's a, a, a song or, or, or a poem that's written, at least in this case, in, in proclamation of praise of who God is. It's written to God. And so David turns from this lament over sin. 
this grieving over sin and the effects of sin and how it plays out in those who accept it. He turns from that. And all he can do now is address God. And so you'll see in this, in verses 5 through 9, that all of this is directed to God about God. Right? This is who you are, God. This is who you are. This is who you are. Right? So look at the attributes. Verse 5. God, your, your love is steadfast. It, it doesn't end. It doesn't depend on me. It's not based on, on conditions. It doesn't change. God, your love is massive and overwhelming. It reaches to the, to the heavens. That's your love. The steadfast love of God takes us back to this picture of, of God with Moses, where, where Moses is receiving from God this blessing, and God passes in front of Moses in Exodus 34. And this is what God says, the, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Seems as if David picks up on that and he says, this is who you are, God. You're abounding in steadfast love. What keeps us from believing that? think we talk about the love of God enough that we just think, yep, the love of God. But do we, do we truly believe that God, our Father, loves us? What keeps us from believing that? There are times in life when we don't sense that God is loving, right? We all have to agree with that. We don't sense that He's loving. Why? What keeps you from believing that God's love is, is unconditional? That, that it reaches to the heavens? What keeps us from that? that? David proclaims, your steadfast love extends to the heaven. He goes on, your faithfulness to the clouds. Much of like what we saw in Exodus 34 from, from God. Your love and your faithfulness go hand in hand, extending beyond, this is what he's getting at, beyond our comprehension. We can't comprehend how far out these things go. This is who you are, God. And so David continues, your righteousness extends to the highest mountains. Unlike what we saw in this lament, God's righteousness is more massive than we can comprehend. We we cannot comprehend it. The same with his judgments in verse 6. He he is able to judge rightly, discern perfectly. The depths of his understanding of all, all of these things is immense. Man and beast and every created creature is under the protection, the rule, and the reign of God. All of it. And David doesn't, I want us to see this, David doesn't just spend time talking about the reality, the factual reality of God's love and faithfulness and righteousness. He doesn't just talk about the facts, right? the, the, the defining attributes of God. Yep, this is who you are. God, you are loving. Check, right? Proclaim that. God, you are faithful. God, you are righteous. No, in this hymn to God, he also sings of the beauty of his love and the blessings of those who are his children because of these attributes. And we've got to have both. We've got to have the proclamation of the fact that, yes, this is who you are. And also, this is the way that I feel and experience that. It's true. And also, this is the way I feel and experience it. His love and faithfulness extend beyond our comprehension. His righteousness and justice are beyond our comprehension. And also, we feel that. We feel it. We experience it. And so David says in verse 7, in this hymn still, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. How precious is it. 
Uh, think about that. We have a God, the, the God, the God, the very God who created all things, sustains all things, ha- has put in place a plan to redeem all things, is working out, out all of those things together for our good and for his glory. That God also loves us. He loves us. That's worth rejoicing, yeah? That we have a God, the God of the universe, who loves us. And so David says, God, your love is precious to us. God, you are faithful. And we as your children can find refuge and help and safety in your presence. Verse 8, God, you're not a stingy God. Now, that's my paraphrase, but I want us to hear that. God, God does not withhold good gifts from us. He lavishes good gifts in abundance. Do we need to hear that again? God is not a stingy God. He, he unloads good gifts on us. God, as your, your children, we feast in abundance. That's what David's getting at. We feast and we drink from, from the river of your delights. If there is joy, uh, if there are delights, if there is abundance, if that exists, then it flows from God. And listen, uh, there is joy and delighting to be had in relationship with God. You've experienced that, some of you. Maybe some of you are in a place where you're not experiencing that, but you have experienced it. There is joy and delighting to be had in relationship with God. Something uh, Kirsten and I have been praying for us as a family. No, I'll invite you in to, to see a, a glimpse of our, our family. Um, we've been praying for, for us as a family. We, I've also been praying for this as a church is that we would be the kind of family for us as a family, that we would be the kind of family that would um, exude joy. That we would have joy. And I'll just be honest, that's not where we are. It's not a place that we've been over the last months. And so we've been praying that we would be filled with joy. I just don't sense it in our own family. We're in a season... For, for whatever uh, reason, I, I'm not sure where joy isn't really defining us as a family. And so a prayer for, uh, for us has been for our own family that, that we'd be filled with joy. A prayer for, for me, for us as a church family, is that we would be full of joy. It would be a joyful place. Friends, listen, please. Uh, of all people, we have reason for joy, don't we? Of all people, we absolutely have reason for joy. If you're a follower of God, He is a loving Father and faithful Father to you. He desires relationship with you. Of all people, we have reason for joy. Now, we we may face hardship now and trials may be all around us, but we know how that all ends up. We know where it goes. So of all people, we are one, uh, we are a people to, ha- to be full of joy. We know we have a loving God and Father who reigns and has a plan to bring all of this mess that we're experiencing now to renewal and, and restoration. All of that. Of, of all people, we have a reason for joy. There's abundance with God. We eat and drink from a river flowing from God's delight, the, the joy of the Lord. Verse 9, David says, it's only with you, God, that we have life. Not just eh, life, I guess. But David says, it's only with you that we have life, but a fountain flowing with abundant life is the way that David describes that. In this day that David is writing, to get our brains around this, if there's light, that that light was a sign of life. So think about it this way. If you're up on a hill and you look out over over an area, a valley, and you see a pocket of lights, what do you think? Well, there's a group of people that live there, right? 
So that was the same kind of thought. Where there was light, from that flowed life. And so David is saying, we experience life because God is the source of it. From God flows life. And so not only do we know the truths about God's steadfast love and faithfulness and His righteousness and His justice, but we also experience those things. We feel those things in life-giving abundance. How precious, David says, is your steadfast love, O God. How precious. We take, take refuge in you. We can feast in your abundance with great joy. This hymn of David to God, it, it flows with that vocabulary. This is who you are, God. This is the way we experience that. Now, do we believe these things? Let's bring it in. Do we believe these things? Again, my, my prayer for my family and for us as a church family, um, for, for you all, for me, is that we would experience Experience the joy of God. That, that we would be a joyful people resting in the lavish good gifts of our God. Do we believe He is actually the giver of those things? And that we find our satisfaction and our joy in Him. Now, how is that for a roller coaster of ups and downs? That we, was, we start with lament, like this world is going down. And then we move from that into a hymn of who God is because of his abundant, lavish, steadfast love and, and faithfulness. Now, how do those two things come together? What is David doing? How do, how do they slam together? Well, David, it ends the only way you can end these seemingly opposing themes. How do you end this? Right? He brings them together in a responsive prayer. So he just responds in prayer. God, this is what we're living in, but I know that your steadfast love endures forever. How do I go from there? And so he turns to God and requests in verse 10. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. Continue your righteousness to those who are upright in heart. God, would you continue to show your love and faithfulness and righteousness to your children? That's a powerful prayer. Would you continue that? I've experienced it. I felt it. I'm sitting in it. I know that it's true. Would you continue that? God, we know that your steadfast love, we know it, we've experienced it, we know that it extends to the heavens. Would you continue that? Would you continue to show us love and faithfulness? We need it, we want it, we, we want to experience it. Would you continue that? And then to bring that all together, David responds in, in request in these last two verses. God, don't let the arrogant or wicked come against me. The people I was speaking about in the beginning, don't let them come against me. And so it's a prayer of protection, knowing that sin and its effects are real and present. And, and, and so David has lamented over sin, and he knows the powerful presence of sin, and he knows the steadfast love of God, and he prays, God, protect me. And David knows well the presence of sin and its effects and its consequences, and David trusts also in the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And, and those two things then come colliding together. And the only response that comes from that is prayer to the only one who can protect him, to the only one who can make these things right. And so listen, friends, how do we now then make sense of this psalm? How do we now make sense of this? It's true that sin still exists. And also it's true that we have a God and Father who loves us. And it's true that we face the effects of sin and the consequences of sin and we feel the effects of it and we, we see it ongoing in our lives. And also it's true that we have a God who's faithful. And those things come crashing in. How do we then experience this today? 
I, I think in part, we have to start with an understanding that we're all, each of us, in desperate need of someone to reconcile us from a sinful way of life to a right relationship with God. And I know that may sound simple, but hear it. We've all got to be in a place, if we want to see this now today, of knowing that that we're in desperate need and that desperate need has been taken care of in, in the very person and work of Jesus. And so we lament over sin all day long. And if we did that as an end, it would leave us feeling empty and hopeless. But God has shown His love toward us. God has been faithful. God has been righteous. God has been loving. He, he's poured out all of that, displayed all of that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in fact, here, here's how I want to end our time together this morning. Feeling, the, yes, the weight of sin and, and also the love and mercy and grace and kindness of our God shown to us in Christ. So I want to feel both of those things. And and so here's how we'll end. We'll end by reading from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you would, either close up your Bible, because I'll have it here on the screen, or you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Near the back of your Bible, it's after uh, some bigger letters. Uh, Paul wrote Romans, Corinthians, you got Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to feel the weight of sin and the effects of it and all of that. And I want to feel also then the the crashing in of the love and mercy and grace and kindness of our God shown through Christ. A lament of sin, a hymn to God. So here's how this goes. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a lament, yeah? That, that's a description of what we all deserve and where we've all been. But it doesn't end there. Coming, crashing in, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with Him and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, listen, friends. It is because of Jesus. It it is because of Jesus that death because of sin is brought to to life. It is because of Jesus that disobedience to God is forgiven. It is because of Jesus that, that the wrath of God because of sin has been directed not to us, but to Jesus once and for all. 
And we now have life. Even when we were dead, Christ entered in making us alive. Do you feel the weight of sin this morning? Your own or the consequences of sin from others. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you, do you feel that weight? God, rich in mercy, lavishing great love, sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself. Lament over sin. A hymn to God, a praise to God for, for what He's done. There's reason this morning for a confession of that. There's reason this morning for confession itself, knowing that God forgives. There's reason this morning for rejoicing. There's reason this morning for, for hymns sung to God, for a response of, of prayer to the God who protects us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to end our time in prayer, giving you some space and time to reflect on what we've just walked through. Maybe you're feeling that weight. Maybe you know that others are feeling that weight. Spending some time where you are reflecting on those things, praying and asking God for help. We'll give you some time of silence where you can just be, listen, listen to the humming of the fan around you. Just be still and and ask God, God, what is it that I need to have redirected in my head and heart to see that you're a God who cares about me, you're a God who loves, you're a God who pours out lavish good gifts, not least of which, not least of which is your own son. And so maybe for you a response of just having hands up and, and saying, God, what, what, what can I hear from you? Spirit, what, what would you have for me? And we'll give you some time to do that um, right, right before we gather around these tables to celebrate that that work has already been finished. The, the work of reconciliation, the work of, of bringing us into right relationship with God has already been finished in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And so we gather weekly to celebrate that around these tables where the bread has been broken and the wine has been shared, uh, poured for us. And so I want to give you some space and time to sit right where you are and, and hear from God. And, and then we'll sing together and you can come and celebrate what God has done. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful that you are a God who's rich in mercy and that you're a God who loved us even when we were dead in our sins. And you have, in your grace, made us alive with Christ. It's only by grace that you've saved us and you've raised us up with Christ. You've seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, in the time to come, he might show, Christ might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is not, n- nothing that we have done. And God, we confess it, it, the ways that we have um, uh, put up in front of you things that we've done to, to earn your favor. It's nothing that we have done. It's by grace. Would you help us to believe that in a world that's wrecked and and marred by sin, our own and the, the sin of others, that we have a loving Father. You are that. These are the things you are. You're loving, you're righteous, you're faithful, you're just. You're, you're merciful, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're, you're abounding in all of these things. They, they flow from you over us. Help us to believe that. And God, if there are people in this room this morning who do not yet know you, who, do not, who have not yet experienced that kind of a lavish grace, that, that abounding and steadfast love, God, my prayer is that you would be softening hearts even this morning, that, that those in this room who do not yet know you would come to know you would have life 
with you, would have saving faith with you. Would you do the work of the miracle of salvation this morning, we pray. Take a a moment to, to respond in the ways that God's leading you.